0: Are you ready for God's Word? Yeah. Amen. Now, what we value the most here is God's Word. And so today, I've got a lot of God's Word. So I'm going to want you to listen closely. I'm going to want you to get your Bibles out, make some marks, always bring pen and paper just to give you a, 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 good, uh, a good little hint if you're ever writing down the verse, you don't have to take a picture of it. I think Christian is going to start adding all my slides to the, to the app. So if you listen on the app, you can go over and pick out the slides. But if you're taking notes, don't write the book first. Write the passage first. Because a lot of people say, well, Pastor, i missed the, the numbers. It's easier to remember the book than it is the numbers, is it not? So if I say John 3.16, write 3.16... And then write John. Little, little thing I learned in college and it worked great for me when my professor told me that because I was always missing where he was referencing. And so uh, that helped. Now you're ready for God's word. I want to share with you the title of this message is A New Beginning. Come on, how many of us could use A New Beginning? How many of us could say, yeah, I, I would love a do-over. I would love to just start afresh and really set the course out right from the beginning. Not that, not that 23 was bad, but it's good to have a fresh start and to say, you know what, this is a good place to refocus, re-engage, renew. And so if you're asking for my subtitle, it's renew your heart. See, we've been talking about the heart and how important that is. And uh, last sermon, I could see some people's faces when I said, a new beginning. They said, yes, it's a New Year's message, but we've been hearing about the heart. How, uh, what about the, the heart title? So, renew your heart. Now, I want to I ask you could, you, could you benefit from a renewed heart? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, no, no my heart's pretty good. My heart's pretty good. Well, what about a revived heart? What about a repentant heart? What about a returning heart? What about a... A renewed heart? Like I said. yes. but why re- returning heart? Why repenting heart? Because it all says the same thing. Lord, I need to remember you again. And... What I, rem- what I see when I look at God's word, where's my Bible at? Here it is. When, when I look at God's word, I see that his people need to be reminded. There it is again. A, 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 an R word, a reword. That prefix re means to do it again. Do it again. And every year we have to come before God again and remind ourselves that he is to be first. To reprioritize him to renew our heart and our dedication towards him. Because if you're anything like me, this world has a way of etching away at you and your dedication and your focus, and I need to refocus, I need to re-engage, I need to return to him, I need to remember how good he's been, because if not, I'll get caught up in the day-to-day and running on the hamster wheel, and slowly but surely, he'll fall down the priority list until I'm broke, busted, and disgusted, and then all of a sudden, I remember. And I go, oh Lord, help me. But isn't it good that we have the opportunity afresh every year to say, Lord, I want to re-engage you. I'm going to put things right again. I'm going to renew my heart, renew my commitment. I'm going to remember you. And Lord, you are my priority. Now, let me ask you this. If this year is the best year of your life spiritually with the Lord, will it not be the best year of your life? And so my message is going to be very simple this this day. It's going to be very simple. It's going to be based on coming back to the Lord, reprioritizing Him as your top priority. Okay? As your top priority, and then letting every other resolution fall under that. Because we're going to make resolutions, and I want you to succeed. But I don't want you to start with the resolutions first, because if you're not careful, it can be all about me, myself, and I, and what I want to accomplish, and God is saying, and what about me? After all, I'm the one that blesses. I'm the one that controls, and so today, we're going to talk about this using the children of Israel. Now, how many of you know who the children of Israel are? These are God's people. God's people. And so... I'm going to put up a timeline here because God's people were brought, listen to me very closely, they were brought out of Egypt, right? As a promise to Abraham, he brought them out of Egypt, he established them as a nation, and the very first king of Israel was not David, it was Saul. So David actually is the second king. We start here with the second king. Now, why was David so uh, important in God's story? Because Saul was, listen to me very closely, man's choice. David was God's choice. This is where the prophet Samuel says, uh, speaking for God, the prophet Samuel says, humans look with their outer eyes at the outer form. Does he look like a king? Do we perceive that he's a king? Does he remind us of what we picture a king to be? Tall, strong, all of these different qualities that we might think of. David did not fit the bill. And God says, while you're looking at the outside, I use my eyes to look at the heart. How important is the heart to God? Super important. He may not look like what you think a king is, but I see he's got king stuff inside. Because after all, it's what's inside that determines what comes outside. Amen? And so God raises David up as his king. David is faithful to the Lord and the kingdom prospers. The kingdom was never more prosperous than under David and Solomon. The problem is Solomon's heart waned from God. What does it mean? It was distracted, and it slowly but surely turned away from the Lord. How? The Bible says he had too many women. How many is too many? More than one. God says you should be what? You should have one husband, one wife, joined together under his blessing. Solomon had over a thousand women, between his wives and his concubines. And concubines were small W wives. They were wives, but not at the same status as capital W wives. So he has a thousand women to contend with. And these women, many of them were foreign women. And they began to turn his heart away from God. And as he turned his heart away from God, God was displeased. And the kingdom began to fall and God says, because of my love for your father, David, I will not split the kingdom in your lifetime. But as soon as you die, that kingdom is going to be split. And I would start over with another king, but I'm a God of my word. And I promised David that from his line, I would always have someone reign on the throne. And ultimately my son will come from David's line. Isn't this why Jesus was born in the house house of Bethlehem, David's house? And so the kingdom is split four days into Solomon's son's reign, and you have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom does evil in the sight of the Lord. What does it mean to do evil in the sight of the Lord? Listen to me very, very closely. It means we forget. We forget And we put everything else in front of God. And slowly but surely, he falls down on the priority list. And this is the thing. When your heart begins to harden and you turn your attention to other things, you become more like someone who turns their attention to other things and less like someone that can respond to God. And this is what happens in life. I've seen it in couples ministry all the time. When I'm dealing with couples, I'm going, what happened to that love? What took place? And it's interesting. You can't just turn it back on. Once you let it go and things start to decline, it takes an amazing amount of energy to get back to where you were once you lose that loving feeling. Isn't that true? And so they lost the loving feeling. They refused to turn back to God with their love and devotion. This is why we should do it yearly. But you know what God says? Not just yearly, weekly. Every first day of the week, give it to me. Put me first. Oh, pastor, I need more than once a week, daily. Every single day at the beginning of the day, give it to God. Oh, Lord, I need more than once a day. I give him the first part of my day. By suppertime, I done lost my religion. I need to do it, not just daily, but Jesus said, moment by moment, put me first, amen? Anyone else in the room like me? And so they fall away and the Assyrian kingdom conquers them. It's right up here. Southern kingdom goes along, they make it a little further before they fall away completely do evil in the sight of the Lord, what their hearts turn from God because they forget to put him first yearly, weekly, daily, and they becomes about me, myself, and I. And that's what our natural default position is, to be selfish. And we talked about that last week. And so they get conquered by Babylon. Now you say, pastor, there's two dates. The reason there's two dates on both is because the first date is when the city, the capital was besieged. The second date is when it was conquered. And so now you know that the enemy will come and besiege you first before he conquers you. Some of you are saying, He's at the doorstep, then do something now. Now, amen? Amen. You say, Pastor, okay, what happens during the, what, what are we gonna be talking about? We're gonna be talking about Daniel chapter five. And Daniel chapter five involves two individuals, Nebuchadnezzar. And his grandson, Belshazzar, when you put the slide up there, and it spanned is over 70 years, because God said to his people, you have forgotten me, I'm going to teach you to remember me. Come on, how many of you have learned your best lessons when in times of trouble? If you have learned your best lessons in negative situations or in times of trials and troubles, raise your hand. Come on, if you have learned your best lessons, I mean the best lesson in life, in beautiful, sweet times, raise your hand. See, we most of us learn our lessons in troubled times, and so here, God is going to put them for an entire generation under Babylonian rule. What's going to happen under Babylonian rule? They're going to need God like never before, and that generation's going to go, oh, snap. We've been ripped out of our country. We are now under a foreign dictator, autocratic, horrible, evil regime, and we need to depend on God, not just once in a blue moon, but every single day. Amen? And then he says through his prophets, at the end of 70 years, I'm going to bring you back to your land, and you will be faithful. Your heart will be renewed. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't want to wait. I don't want to go through 70 years, then do it now, amen, yeah. then do it now. God says, today, worship me with all your heart, amen. And so this takes place, and this is where we're at. We're at the end of the seven years, Belshazzar is king. Chapter five starts off this way, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon made a great feast. He was having a New Year's party. He was having a New Year's Eve party. And he invited a thousand of his lords, and they drank wine in the presence he drank wine in the presence of the thousand. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave a command to bring the gold, silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in. Now, what temple are we talking about? We're talking about Solomon's temple that he built? To honor who? God, Jehovah, Yahweh. What are these utensils and vessels used for? They're used for worship and the sacrifice be- before almighty, holy God. Do you realize that no one should touch these vessels except you be a priest? And here this evil king brings them into his party to show his power and his might and to exhibit his proud heart before the people. And so he gives it to, he gives the vessels to his lords, to his wives, to his concubines. They drink from them. And as they drank from them, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What are they doing? They're engaging engaging in idol worship. Anytime you forget God and you look towards this world, your heart will be hardened, your pride will be puffed up, and you will worship idols. You go, well, I'm just worshiping myself. That's the biggest idol you can worship. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? And so you will worship idols. So watch this. In that same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite of the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. What does that mean in that same hour? At that moment, while he was still desecrating and dishonoring God. God has a hand. I want to know what this looked like. Was it a hand this size? I have big hands. But in a dimly lit palace in the ancient world, you may not have seen my handwriting. So was the hand much bigger? And all you could see was this hand and it's screeching out. On the plaster, does plaster when you try to write on it with a nail? Does it sound like a chalkboard? <laughs> it gets everybody's attention. I don't know. Some of my builders are going no. Did it sound like? I I like to live the Bible. Amen. You gotta picture it like like the like like gladiator or something. Yeah, that's how I do it. I'm like, I mean, but this is amazing. Watch what happens next. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance changed. What does it mean the king's countenance changed? He was like this, and now he's like, watch. The king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him. So that the joints of his lips were loosened and his knees knocked against one another or against each other. So he's happy. All of a sudden, he's why are you sagging, bro? Why are you afraid? Why are you freaking out? The hinges of his lips went loose. What does that mean? As he's sitting there going, and he's freaking out why because he knows in his heart something's not right can i tell you something don't wait for god's hand to write it on the wall for you amen. amen not when he's given us a love letter from his heart to yours you can read his heart for you that he loves you and the plans he has for you are good plans Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And so his feet knocked, I mean, his legs knocked. Now watch this. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, that means a royal uh, wardrobe will be given him, and have a chain, that means the insignia of the palace or the kingdom shall be put around his neck, and he shall be third in all of the kingdom in command. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing and make it known by interpretation, right? And then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Now this is what happens, I skipped a few verses, his wife has to come to the rescue. Come on, ladies. And his wife goes, honey, I hear you're having some trouble. Don't be sad, baby. There's a man that used to serve your grandfather named Daniel. Hello." His name's Daniel, and he used to tell Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, all sorts of things. So Daniel comes into the picture, and then Daniel was brought in before the king. And this is Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, talking to Daniel. I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and, and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make it known to me, it's interpretation... You shall be clothed, you shall be rewarded. We already know what the reward is. Let's keep going. Then Daniel answered, Keep your reward. Watch, keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Yet I will read the inscription and interpret it for you. But first, O king, the Most High God gave your grandfather this kingdom. And he gave him majesty, glory, and honor. God gave it to your grandfather. Watch. This is super important. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride. What does it mean the spirit was hardened? The spirit of a man is the heart of a man. He was lifted up in pride, and his spirit, his heart was hardened. This is why the Bible says, guard your heart. Do not harden it. Don't let this world harden your heart. Don't let it turn from God. Don't let your attention go from God and have him move down the priority list. Because when this happens, watch what takes place. And he hardened with pride, and he was deposed from his Kingly throne, what does it mean to pose? He was removed, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. What does this mean i 'll tell you exactly what it means because if you back up a couple of chapters, you read that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream from God and God told him, I have given you all of this, but you need to remember where it comes from. And the day you forget, I will judge you. And so a year went by. How many of us know you can handle a year? Don't try to. You can handle a year without God. Don't try to. You need to renew your heart every year before God because a year went by. The Bible says a year went by after he had been warned by God, and he stood up on his palace, and he begins to brag of all he had and what he had accomplished, and right then and there, something shifted in him, and he became like an animal, and his own, his own counsel had to put him outside like a wild beast for seven years and this is what the Bible says. Until, until what? Watch this. Until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he sits over them, anyone he wishes. The Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. He does what he wants. Come on now. He does what he wants when he wants it, with who he wants it, for as long as he wants it, because he is sovereign. And it's from his hand that every blessing flows. So why should I look for love all these other places when God is saying, come to me, and you can have all you want? Amen? Amen? Okay, I love this story, but that's not what, the story, what I came to preach about. Let's keep moving. Then the son is listening to the history lesson and Daniel turns to him and says, I've been talking about your grandfather, but now I'm gonna talk about you. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart either, although you knew his story. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. This is the interpretation of each of the words, Mene, which means God has numbered your kingdom and it is finished. Tackle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. How many of us, if we were weighed by God, would be found wanting? Every one of us. So, what's the difference here, Pastor? The difference is he didn't know it. He didn't know it. We're all found wanting. So, what we should do is every day, every year, say, Lord, Oh, God, by your grace, thank you for last year. And by your grace, I go with you into next year. Amen. Uh, Tekel, you have been found wanting, preces. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, he died. And Cyrus the Great stepped forward as a conqueror. And you know what's interesting? Daniel got to meet Cyrus the Great, I believe, and give him a copy of the prophet Isaiah's words. I need you to understand something with me. Are you with me? Isaiah wrote about Cyrus by name, 170 plus years, 170 plus to 200 years prior to Cyrus even being born. By name, here it is, Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held what is God saying? I raised you up. Why? Because I am sovereign over the kingdoms of men and I give them to anyone I wish. I raised up Babylon to teach my people a lesson, but now my prophecy has to come true that I'm bringing my people out of Babylon and sending them back home and Cyrus is the tool I'm going to use. And so this is what he says. He says, I subdued nations before you. I loosened the armor of kings and opened up doors for you. I did this. For what reason? Well, in the book of Ezra, we know why. Are you with me? Am I covering too much? Is the Bible boring to you? If the Bible's boring to you, you you probably aren't going to like it here. Because I love God's word. Anyone else? I mean, I just love God's word. It changed my life. You know, it's interesting because people are always like, Pastor, I need to meet with you. Pastor, would you pray with me? Pastor, read God's word. You got it right there. Read God's word. It'll change your life. So anyway, watch this. Cyrus, in the first year, Cyrus, the king of Persia, at the word of the Lord, by the mouth of Jeremiah... Jeremiah said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, even though you're going to be in where? In captivity for 70 years. At the end of those 70 years, God's going to bring you out and he's going to prosper you. And he used Cyrus to do it. So right there at the beginning of Ezra, in Ezra chapter one and chapter two, you see Cyrus stepping forward after conquering Belshazzar and he begins to loosen the reins on God's people. He even recognizes God as God. Now, not the same way the Hebrews did. He was a pagan, so he saw God, Jehovah, as one of many gods. But he was God over that region, and he respected him, and he said this. He said, you are his people, therefore you have permission to go back home. And there in chapter 1 and 2, he decrees it. And so what takes place? what is Ezra all about? The reason I want to highlight Ezra, because there's several young men in this congregation named Ezra. And I was talking to them the other day. And I said, do you know what you who you're named after? And they're like, uh, yeah, isn't he a, a, a person in God's word, but didn't know much more. And I said, Ezra was a scribe. What is a scribe? Someone that writes out God's word, painstakingly memorizing it, making sure that not one little mistake occurs. And he was a priest. And he was one, listen to me very closely, one of three men that were assigned as leaders by God to bring the people out of Babylon and back to God's holy city. Amen. One of three. The first one brought back a fraction. Then he stepped in 80 years later, brought back another fraction, and then Nehemiah brought back the rest. Ezra was in the middle and he not only brought back people, but he brought back worship. Because God's intent was not just to bring the people back. Why did he remove them in the first place? Because of their heart. He said things like this, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so Ezra brings them back to the land and says, remember God. Remember God, remember God, worship him, make a joyful noise. Come on, let's give God our very best. Can I tell you, if this year you give God your very best, it will be the best year of your life. Isn't that true? You say, pastor, I want to be motivated to do amazing habit change and life change. Put God first and everything else will follow. Jesus put it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And everything else will be added to you as well. Make that the number one priority in your life this year. And so Ezra brings people back into the land. But can I tell you something? This is where the crux of the message takes place. Are you with me? Many people did not go. Many people did not go. There were three different... Expositions or, or or moments where people were encouraged to go back. The Persian and the Medo King, the Medo Persian King, was saying, "Go back." Even later, after Cyrus Artaxerxes says, "Go back," and they give money and give decrees saying, "Go back," and yet they couldn't go back. Why not? Well, can I tell you what took place? In Jeremiah, the Bible says that the word of the Lord went forth to Israel. And he says, to all the captives that have been carried away, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. What is God saying? I want you to know I'm doing this to you because I'm teaching you a lesson. And then he says this, build houses and dwell in them. It's right there. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives, beget sons and daughters, and have your wives, and I mean, your sons and your daughters get married and continue to flourish in the land. Be peacemakers. That means be part of the prosperity of the city of Babylon, because if Babylon prospers, you prosper. You go, "I don't understand it. God sent them. Yeah, he was teaching them something. Come on, how many of you know that whatever you've been through in your life, God was teaching you something? So this past week, I got to go to San Antonio with some dear dear friends. We just love them. And as we sat and ate and had a good time over the the two days that we were there, um, I couldn't help but reflect on San Antonio. San Anto, as I like to call it, or SA, that's my city. I was born there. My parents were born there. They, it, it, it's near and dear to my heart, especially now that the Spurs are going to be winning again. We, we're believing for them. We're believing for them. They're having a hard time, but they're coming back. Amen? Um, hey, you UT guys should definitely appreciate that. How long did it take for you guys? Never mind. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You, know, you can appreciate it. So I'm believing. Anyway. I'm there, and I can't help but start talking about the city. It just feels good when you... But I had never felt this before. And as I was talking and stuff, I, you know, the conversation came up. And com- How many of you know when you're in conversation, you talk about, oh, when we were kids or when this happened, or the... and everybody was kind of sharing their story, but I kept sharing stories of like, man, how rough it was. And not just San Antonio, but, but, but being uh, in the different neighborhoods that my dad had moved us into being a, a preacher's kid, and I, and I realized something. After I had time to reflect on it, and I was away from the conversation, I said, Lord, why was I gravitating to to things that have happened in my past? And man, um, and God basically said this to me, so that you can remember how good I've been. Is there anyone here that can give God glory? And say, Lord, as I look back over my life, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I should have been dead here. I should have been locked up here. I could have gone wrong here. Lord, you kept me. Thank you for unanswered prayers. You know, you should sing better than Garth Brooks in worship, saying thank you for unanswered prayers, my king. Thank you for unanswered prayers. Lord, I was dead set on making that mistake, but you stepped in, you curved my path, you changed my way. Lord, to you be the glory. And God wants you to see that he is bringing you from glory to glory to glory so that you can thank him for where you've been and believe him for where you're going. Thank him for where you've been and believe him for where you're going. Because he wants you to keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. He's transforming you into his likeness. Is anyone here saying, no, reached it, I'm, I'm Christ-like? Don't need to look any further, me and Jesus. No, no, if you're not there yet, then thank him for where you've been. And take that to believe him for where you're going. Oh, God, you're, not, you're still working on me. There was a little song we used to sing. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. Because he's still working on me. Isn't that true? He created creation in 7 days or 6 days, but he's still working on you and me. He's working on you. He's doing something. And so this is what's happening. You go, "Pastor, why did you tell me that whole history story?" Because I'm telling you the whole history story that God said, "Hey, when I'm teaching you a lesson, you're going to you're going to you're going to have to sit in that moment for a minute, but I don't want it to become your home." So what does this mean? It means you're in the world, but you're not to be of the world. Do you hear that? That means daddy is saying, just because your friends do it. Any, any fathers in the room say exactly what you said you would never tell your children? If your friends go jump off a bridge, does that mean you're going to do it too. Oh, we all say the same goofy things we heard our dad say, but God is now saying it to us, saying you might be in the world, but you ain't supposed to be of the world. You're different. You've had a time where you've done some things and you've worked in some places and you've gone to some schools and you've hung out with some people, but I'm calling you to better. I'm calling you out. Have the courage to come out. Have the courage to thank me for where I've brought you, and believe me, for where I'm taking you. Amen? So I want you to look over your life right here, right now, in this moment. And before you start setting all sorts of um, um, uh, New Year's resolutions, I want you to ask yourself before God, better yet, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me for this next year? God, how can I bless your name for what you've shown me and give me the courage to come out of Babylon, to really step forth out of Babylon? You know, only a fraction came out of Babylon. For others, it took them 80 years and a fraction more came out. And then a fraction more came out. Until this day, some are still in Babylon. Don't be that person. You say, Pastor, what does that mean, though? I'm not, we're not in that same context. So as we finish the story, let me put it this way to you. The Old Testament is a word picture of the spiritual reality that God brought forth in the New Testament. It's an object lesson. God was setting a physical stage so that we could connect physically to the spiritual beauty of his love. How so? He talks about a temple. He talks about that temple being desecrated and having to be what removed from his presence, taken to a foreign land, being taught some lessons and then calling them forward at the right time that they may come back into the land where he has placed his name but we don't have a land and we don't have a temple. Now I want you to shift to the spiritual mindset of the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Bible says this, I'm calling you out of this world so that you would be special people for me. That you might be a temple for me. Why do we have the name outside Represent or celebrating Christmas, we have the big name in lights, Emmanuel. Are you with me? What does Emmanuel mean? In the Old Testament, he said, I will come down and dwell among them. And he came down in a pillar of fire and he filled the old the the, the temple. How does he come down in the New Testament? what is Jesus called? Emmanuel, God with us. He comes down and he shows us the way of salvation. And this is the beauty of the New Testament. Watch what Peter says. You also, as living stones, the Old Testament, physical stones, the New Testament, spiritual stones, are being built as a spiritual house. The Old Testament, the temple was the physical house. The New Testament, we are the spiritual house of God where the Spirit of God resides and we represent the presence of Christ in this neighborhood. Every church and every community is being built together to bring forth God glory. Amen? And he's saying, come out! be different. I've got more for you. Don't get comfortable. I know you've been in the world, but you're not called to be of the world. So I'm asking you with all my heart, how is the Holy Spirit talking to you today? What does he have for your new year? I promise you it's amazing, but you've got to be willing to engage him. You've got to be willing to believe him for more. Say, Pastor, but you don't understand. I've gotten comfortable. I've learned how to deal with it. And God is saying, I don't want you to just deal with it. You go, what what are you talking about? Well, this is where we finish. Maybe you're struggling with discouragement. And you've been discouraged for years. And the enemy's telling you, no, this is as good as it gets. And you've decided to. Build a home, build a garden, marry, settle down. And here Ezra is saying, come out, come with me. We've got to get back to God. He has more for us. You say, I I don't deal with discouragement. How about unforgiveness? Frustration with others, frustration with God. How about you've been so focused on people pleasing? Oh, I just want to be like the world. I want the world to like me. How about this rejection, betrayal? And because of betrayal, man, I've got a little revenge on my mind. Abandonment, offense, I've been offended. Now, I feel sorry for myself. I struggle with self pity. I'm just struggling with all sorts of trials and tribulations, and it seems like once I get through one, another one comes. Now, if I have to be honest, I'm self centered. I struggle with jealousy and envy. I struggle with wanting to quit. I start, but then I get discouraged and I quit. Anxiety, worry, abuse, criticism, health challenges, spiritual fatigue. I mean, the list goes on and on. I don't know what it is, but can I tell you, God has more for you. Okay, so you want to know, how many of you know, but I'm going to put it this way. This is where we finish. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, He says what? Come on, everybody knows this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and... Right there, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, is that true? And I'm going to say... What do you mean, is it true? His word said it, it's true. Oh, I get it. I get where you're coming from. You want to know the context. I just told you the context. I spent a whole message telling you the context. Jeremiah was preaching to to Judah going into captivity. And Jeremiah, remember what the Bible said in Ezra? According to the word of Jeremiah, spoken by Jeremiah, according to what God said through Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, you're going to go into captivity and God is going to bring you out with your heart completely alive for him. And then he encourages them by saying, he knows the plans he has for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but you're going to have to want to come out. You're going to have to want to come out. And so today, that's where we finish. I want you to look over your life. Don't get so comfortable that you don't believe God for more. Understand that all that he's brought you through was to shape you, fashion you, to make you more like his son. That you might bring him glory and that you might look back and know That if he hasn't dropped me yet, he won't drop me. I can go forward and trust him. Amen. (laughs) New beginning. New beginning. New beginning. I want to know, is there anyone here ready to trust him for a brighter tomorrow? For a brighter tomorrow. (laughs) For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, pastor, but I've been through some things. So did Israel. And they came out better for it. So as you take your communion cup and you begin to talk to the Holy Spirit, Would you just have a conversation with the Lord and say, Father, Spirit of the living God, as I look over my life, I see your hand at work. And I know that the enemy would love for me to stay in Babylon. But in this moment, by faith, by faith, I declare. I declare a prayer of thanksgiving for all you've done. And I declare that it shall be faith to trust me, to trust you, excuse me, for where you're taking me. I don't know exactly what 2024 has, but I know you hold it. And you are sovereign over the kingdoms of men and you do what you want when you want. And so, Lord, I ask you to bless me. And I thank you for what you've already blessed. In Jesus' name. We are made new by his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. To God be the glory. Amen. I love you, church. Have a great, great new year.